Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, in which two incredibly washed middle-aged podcasters attempt to give their immediate reactions from their perches on the East Coast past 1 a.m. even to the big fight that took place in the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, where Canelo Alvarez, Eric, had absolutely no problem whatsoever in dispensing with Jamel Charlo as the uh, super middleweight champion retained his super middleweight belts and sent the junior middleweight champion scurrying back to 154 pounds. Yeah, you may be washed and I may be washed. Canelo Alvarez, despite concerns that possibly washed was in his near future, uh, did not look one bit washed. He uh, looked fantastic and absolutely dominated this fight. And we'll break down a bit how much of that was him being great and how much of that was Charlo being disappointing. But uh, in the end, Canelo achieved his 60th career victory, moved to 62-2, and 39 KOs, did not get the knockout as he dropped Jermel Charlo's record to 35-2-1 and one, with a unanimous decision win by scores of 119-108 and 118-109 twice. And it just was never close. Uh, you'll notice in those scorecards uh, that the, the tallies obviously indicate there was a knockdown that came in the seventh round when Canelo dropped uh, Charlo with a, a sudden right hand that hurt him, followed by kind of a grazing right uppercut, and then just sort of the decision by by Jermel Charlo to take a knee and gather himself. Uh, that accounted for the 10-8 round and and the scores that uh, that we ended up seeing at the end. So uh, I'll start by asking you, you this, Kieran, uh, and and let's throw out the fact that you you picked Charlo to win. I, it was sure. it was a bold call. I don't think we need to grade on the curve that was that attempt at the big upset pick but just more on the curve of what we generally expected and what we've been seeing lately from Canelo. Uh, Canelo said afterwards, nobody can beat this Canelo. That may be a bit of an overstatement, but was this a better, different Canelo than we saw in his last three fights? Uh, assess his performance and what you saw out there. Well, it's funny. It's As soon as I saw the two of them get in the ring, I almost DM'd you to say, I think I want to change my pick. (laughs) There was just, this was even before the first bell started. There was just something looking at Canelo's physique. um, He just looked more solid. He looked leaner. He looked much better prepared than we've seen him in a while. Um, But I think all of that said, notwithstanding, I think it's a little difficult to grade this Canelo because I think Charlo was that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you, you know, the we. <laughs> I think there were there were two different types of Canelo's subpar performances recently. There has been, and maybe we can throw out Dimitri Bivol. Maybe that was just a fight he shouldn't have taken against a guy who was all wrong for him stylistically, age wise, size wise, all of that. So there's that kind of. Uh, it's con- reason to think oh is Canelo on the slide then there's the winning just about every round but not looking great against the likes of John Ryder right this was a winning every round and looking pretty good against a guy who was supposed to be a lot better than say for example John Ryder um this is a slightly different kind of fight and it is a little difficult to gauge because he never had to go to a plan b at any point right. he was never pushed to do that he came in with a very good plan a which was you know what i'm a bit i'm used to this weight 
I don't think Charlo is. We're going to put pressure on him early and see what happens. When we were discussing our keys to victory, not in our Friday podcast, but on Monday one, I said Canelo wins if he makes the ring small. Mm -hmm. And if he uses that left hook to the body, he made the ring small and he used the left hook to the body. He did exactly what Canelo Alvarez likes to do when given the opportunity. And Jamel Charlo gave him the opportunity. It's very easy for you and I to sort of sit back and go, I can't believe that Jamel Charlo didn't put in more of an effort. It's it's very easy to say that when you're not the one who's in the ring getting hit by Canelo. But I also thought that his reaction, Charlo's that is, immediately post-fight was disappointingly undisappointed. Right. Um, he sounded like he was very happy to have shown up. Mm-hmm. Um, he did take the risk. He did that to be great. But he fell very short here. There were moments, there were flurries, there were flashes where he showed exactly what I had in mind when I thought that he'd be at least competitive and might eke out the win. Uh, but he but he didn't do that anything like enough. You have to give Canelo credit for doing a 14-week training camp, good Lord, and obviously clearly deciding that he really needed to rededicate himself here. Um his wrist is healed. He's in better health. Maybe that's the big difference. Maybe, as you uh, uh, talked about in our in our preview, in our picks pod, this was the one last great performance out of Canelo. I don't know. We'll see. But Canelo came in deciding that he needed, he knew what he needed to do. To his credit, he executed it perfectly. So we have to give him that. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's something, I, I think it's reasonable to sort of say of Jermel Charlo that the victory for him was getting this fight signed. And yeah. um, he seemed there was, in the way that he fought and the way that he carried himself leading up to it, in retrospect, a bit of a contentment just at, at being at being there and getting this fight and getting this payday. You know, he showed so much respect to Canelo at the press conferences and some people sort of tried to read into that something and I sort of blew it off uh, to an extent but I I think the respect that he showed at the press conference translated in, into how he fought um he just really didn't look confident at all in the ring so it's not that he wasn't coming to win or, or hoping to find a way but I just think he didn't seem to have much of a game plan or at least he wasn't executing whatever the game plan was and never had any confidence that that he could really get anything done. I, I had I jotted that down in the second round specifically that it just he did not look like a confident fighter at all. I wondered from the start why wasn't he jabbing more? That's you'll recall what I had said was the the key to victory for Charlo was to really see if he could control Canelo with the jab the way that Dmitry Bivol did, and instead he just let Canelo walk right in. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right to say that it's hard to assess how good Canelo was because Canelo looked near flawless on this night. Really, there's almost nothing to criticize, but it's hard to, other than the fact that he didn't get the knockout. Um, but it's hard to assess how good he was because of the level of opposition, uh, level of resistance, I guess I should say that he was up against. Um, I don't think that size really dictated what we saw in there other than the fact, I guess that, Charlo's punches were having no effect on Canelo, but that tends to be true of guys Canelo's own size as well. He's always had a great chin. So I really don't think this was about size. I think this was about Canelo being a full skill level uh, above Charlo. 
the the knockdown just kind of locked it in. And then it, you know, for me, for me as a better, uh, that gave me some interesting sweats in the second half of the fight. I had, uh, I had a wager on Canelo to win by KO in round seven to 12 thought, thought I had a good shot. Once he got the knockdown, I also had over one and a half knockdowns in the fight. So I'm sitting there rooting for one more knockdown or a knockout. Uh, could, couldn't quite, quite get either out of Canelo, but he did just continue to dominate. He even seemed at certain points, mildly annoyed at Charlo's defensive approach. Yeah. I think he was a little bit disappointed in, in the way that uh, Jermel Charlo was uh, effectively looking to survive. So, um, yeah, and, and I, I wonder even just like how much Canelo dropping F-bombs left and right in, in his post-fight interview was was <laughs> a final way of sort of venting that he he had to be satisfied with the way that he performed, but um, I, I wonder if even he was hoping for a little more out, out of Charlo in this fight. Mm. So I guess the big topic is going to be what the next big fight for Canelo is. He still has two fights in this PBC contract, but but uh, let's talk first about what could be next for Jermel Charlo. Uh, are you still as interested in him against Tim Zhu, assuming that Zhu wins his upcoming fight with Brian Mendoza? as we have been for, for the last uh, nine months or so. Uh, is, is, does that still seem the fight to make? He certainly, uh, Charlo was talking about dropping right back down to, to 154. So um, is that still a big fight? Did it lose any luster because of how non-competitive Jermel was in this one? No, I, I think, I don't think so, actually. I'll tell you what has lost its luster for me, despite the fact that Lubin called it out, is a Terence Crawford fight, because I don't know... And maybe Bud still wants it, but I don't know what Bud gets out of it necessarily. Um, You're specifically Bud, saying a Bud a Bud Crawford Charlo fight. Yes. Okay. All right. Because there's another Bud Crawford fight that we'll be discussing in a moment that did not lose luster. Yeah. No. <laughs> I I think you know because because Charlo was calling them out at the end, said he wanted Terence Crawford. Um, I don't I don't think Terence would be interested in that. Terence nah. is is top of the heap. Why go for a guy who lost 12 or 11 or 10 rounds? Um, that's I think he's blown that chance. Um, Certainly immediately, I would say so. I'd say I'd say if he takes on Zoo and sort of reunifies all the belts beating Zoo and is the man to beat again at 154 coming off a good win, maybe that rechanges that particular equation. Agreed. Um, but I do think I think it's still an incredibly viable fight for him to fight the winner of Tim Zhu and Brian Mendoza. Um, uh, absolutely, he's going to come back and he's going to make the case. Hey, look, I uh, you know I had to leave for a minute because I had to dare to be great. Didn't work, but hey, Tim Zhu, you think you're you you're all that because you've beaten Tony Harrison and Brian Mendoza. If he beats Brian Mendoza, uh, I went into the ring with Canelo Alvarez. So what do I have to fear from you? at 154. So, no, I think it's still viable. I think that it might make Zoom more of a favorite going it, going into it, but mm. no, I think it's still completely viable at 154. I, I I think that, you know, that still works. Like I said, I just think that Charlo's got to get back to his division, got to reestablish himself definitively as, as the top dog there before he can start, as you said, then looking at people like Bud Crawford. Yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree. And, you know, yeah, I, I in my mind, I'm sort of making the mistake of of 
saying Charlo versus Zoo and looking past Mendoza on Zoo's behalf, but I absolutely should not. He's definitely dangerous. It could be Charlo Mendoza that we're talking about. It's just because we've been talking about Charlo Zoo for so long that that one is more top of mind and feels a little more marketable for me right now. But I think that is absolutely the next step for Charlo is to fight the winner of that, see if he can reestablish himself as the top dog at 154 and and go from there. Um, So Terrence Crawford... Then his name is floating uh, for for just about any major fight in these welterweight all the way up to super middleweight considerations. Canelo versus Bud Crawford. I know they're three weight classes apart. I would be unbelievably fascinated and excited for that fight. I absolutely have a difficult time telling you who I favor, despite the fact that one is a super middleweight and one is a welterweight. That's the fight that I most want to see, even though there are other tremendously significant and appealing opportunities for Canelo at 168, particularly David Benavidez being the one that jumps out. Um, are you as interested in, in Canelo Crawford, two, two of the biggest superstars, two of the top pound for pound guys? Are you as interested in that as I am? Yeah. And I honestly think that Crawford might even want it more now, having seen the junior middleweight champion fall so far short. Mm-hmm. Uh if he were to win or even be competitive against a Canelo who just wiped the floor with the 154-pound champion, right. uh, it's an even bigger statement um, for Terence Crawford. So I'm sure that he's even even more interested in it. Looking at the um, images of him ringside, he's – I mean, we noticed when he was fighting Errol Spence that he – has really grown. We talked about his frame, Terence Crawford, right. uh, when we were when we were discussing Crawford Spence post fight. He looks like he's walking around as a as a light heavyweight right now, and uh, and a pretty solid one at that. Uh, I don't think it would be tremendously difficult for Bud Crawford to get himself into the kind of condition he would need to be in to to fight Canelo at one sixty eight. He'd want to probably try and get Canelo down to 160 to meet in the middle, but right. I don't know that Canelo, Canelo probably feels like he has enough um, uh, uh, sort of drawing power that he doesn't have to do that. But I am intrigued by that. Uh, I do want to see Canelo against David Benavides if Benavides beats um, Demetrius Andrade. But in terms of what's the really exciting outside the box boy, this is going to get people's attention kind of fight. The fight that could absolutely make the legacies of two of the greatest fighters of the generation. I freaking love Canelo Crawford. And I don't like it any less because we've seen Charlo fall so poorly short. Crawford's got much more dog in him, man. Mm. He's not ever going to do anything like that. And he's more skilled. He's just that right. straight better than Jamel Charlo. Yeah, uh, that's 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 the key to me is that he, I don't think he needs to get up to 168 for this fight. I think if he like, weighs in uh, at 158 or something like that and uh, has all of the skill that he always brings to the table in combination with a speed advantage over Canelo and and tries to essentially outbox him and not not think that he's going to trade punches with Canelo and and have Canelo's power. I that's where I think it's most fascinating is, and th- you remember Derek James was saying he wanted 
Jermel to come in 163 yeah. to 165. Instead, he came in at 167 and a half. I wonder, not that it would have been significantly different, but I wonder if he might have done a little better if he'd focused on speed rather than trying to get all the way up there. But this is, that's the thing for me with, with Crawford is it, it's a matter of can he beat Canelo with his skill? But you're absolutely right. that That, that is the crossover marketable fight. That is... You know, we we haven't seen a pay-per-view get up in that two million buy range in a while. I think that has a chance of doing that because they've both established themselves as such great fighters. Canelo has been a superstar for so long. Crawford uh, is just breaking through now to that true total household name superstar kind of level. That may be a fight that the timing is perfect, that that could be like a two million buy pay-per-view kind of fight, I think. Yeah, and you see the crowd reaction now when Terence is on the the big screen in the arena. It's all mm-hmm. different. Everything's changed for him. Yes. And the fact we've still been talking about what he did to Errol Spence uh, a couple of months later and still asking people about it. It was one of the most significant um, and dramatic kind of performances that we've seen in a, in a big stage in a major fight that we've seen in a long, long time. Terence Crawford right now is where he wants to be. I don't think there's a bigger opponent for Canelo Alvarez, honestly. It's right. like, yes, we all want to see him beat David Benavidez, um, uh, or at least face David. Sorry, right, David. Right. We want to see him face David Benavidez <laughs> at super middleweight. Sure. But what really gets the pulses racing, right? What's really going to get people talking? Uh, who is the biggest opponent for Canelo now and it's terence crawford yeah absolutely and and if instead on cinco de mayo next year we got canelo versus david benavidez i would not be sad don't get me wrong it's a great fight it's just that doesn't have that that sort of full crossover potential to uh to really get everyone's minds turning and and shift the marketing to from a this is a standard canelo huge pay-per-view to this is a once every five years kind of huge pay-per-view. So I'll, I'll be I'll be happy if we get either of those, but it is definitely, I can't lie, it is the Crawford fight that has me uh, more intrigued. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, but yes, like, like you said, uh, if it does end up being David Benavides, or you know what? The only one I would be dissatisfied is Demetrius Andrade beats David Benavides. Mm. I don't need to see against Demetrius Andrade. We'll say that much. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> but uh, we had three fights on the undercard. We were very excited about the undercard. Uh, it started very well and got maybe less exciting as the undercard <laughs> went off. Yeah. Let's start with the co-main. Okay. Um, I was not slow to express my levels of excitement about this. Nothing about this fight went the way that I expected it to from what happened in the ring during the 12 rounds to what happened afterwards. Um, I thought that the contest, the junior middleweight contest between Jesus Ramos and Erickson Lubin was going to be much more interesting and exciting. It wasn't particularly interesting or exciting. Uh, initially, Ramos just seemed to be, who looked huge, by the way, I mm-hmm. thought in the ring. Yes. Ramos just was coming forward, backing Lubin to the ropes. Lubin didn't seem to have very much at all, seemed to be kind of diffident. And by around round seven or so, I was thinking, this is getting a bit monotonous. Is Ramos going to do something to step it up a level here? He's just going to keep thudding away on him. Instead, he went the opposite direction and really stopped fighting for much of the last four or five rounds. Uh, Lubin was sneaking some rounds, but it felt like it was too late. I had actually the same scorecard as Steve Farhood. I had it 116-112 Ramos, but I could definitely see a round or two 
in there uh, that you would give to Lube. And I could see 115, 113 Ramos, or even 114, 114. I cannot fathom how you get to 117, 111, no. Ericsson, Rubin. There's three scores, 115, 113, 116, 112, 117, 111. When I heard the 115, 113, and the 116, 112, I thought, okay, they're kind of on the money. That's kind mm-hmm. of what I expected. When I saw 117, 111, I thought, well, that's too wide. Jesus <laughs> Ramos by that much. Right. But I certainly didn't think Ericsson Lubin won by that much. Lubin climbs to 26 and 2 with 18 stoppages. Ramos falls to 20 and 1, so bring his first defeat with 16 stoppages. I, I'm not quite sure what to say about any of this. Help me out here. What do you what's <laughs> I, I guess we could just say sigh boxing uh, and 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 move on pretty much because th- this was a, it was a disappointing fight with an absolutely bizarre decision and I had at one fifteen one thirteen Ramos and I and I tweeted something out uh, when it ended that you know some of those early rounds where like rounds two through eight that Steve Farhood just gave them all to Ramos. I sort of pointed out, well, I gave one or I gave one of them to Lubin and, and a few of them were close. Wouldn't be shocked to see a draw here. That wouldn't be the craziest thing, but I basically had the same reaction as you to the scorecards. Well, wow, 117, 111, that's a little wide for Ramos, but I was, it didn't even begin to cross my mind that those scorecards could be for Lubin. Um, I, uh, Caleb Truax, uh, had, a the, the former super middleweight title holder had a, uh, a good, uh, tweet. He, tweeted after the decision listen ramos let off the gas the last few rounds and when you do that you can't complain when you lose but all caps jesus christ that was a bad decision 117 111 lubin is awful and that was a patricia morse jarman scorecard and yeah i just that's a terrible scorecard 116 112 is also pretty impossible to fathom 115 113 yeah that i that i can kind of get but it was a case of I think some of those early rounds where Lubin was boxing and moving not very effectively and Ramos was stalking and pinning him on the ropes and his power seemed to be showing and there was a tendency to give him all those rounds. The judges were seeing it differently and I can kind of understand that it wasn't as clear cut in Ramos's favor as it appeared watching it on TV. So, uh, I mean, but that, again, I just can't see how you gave that many, that many rounds to Lubin, who just wasn't effective offensively until, uh, and actually I shouldn't even say until, even late in the fight when it was more that yeah. Ramos was was taking rounds off, his right eye was swelling a bit. I felt L- Erickson Lubin was having a solid defensive night but solid defense doesn't win rounds. Uh, but in this case, apparently it was. Um, Ramos, as the fight went on, was cutting off the ring much worse than he had been earlier in the fight. Didn't quite have the same hustle and aggressiveness. Um, it was a really disappointing fade from Ramos, yep. but it, it but it shouldn't have been enough to cost him the fight. Uh, I Yeah, I remain perplexed. Uh, that 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 all three judges got there, uh, and I, I guess I'll just say, Ramos did handle it with a lot of class. Uh, yes. Didn't didn't complain about the decision, and he was asked what he learned. He said he learned to not let it go to the judges. Uh, I hope he learned not just that, but also not to take your foot off the gas so much those last five rounds and let it go to the judges. Even if it, even if to some fights you're not going to get the knockout. You got to keep pushing all 12 rounds. Um, in this case, he 
he suffered his first loss under just absolutely bizarre circumstances. And I hate to take so much attention away from Lubin, for whom this was a really important victory. Uh, yeah. But it was hard to see uh, the the same fight that the judges uh, saw in this one. Yeah, and I, and I didn't like, and obviously, you know, what, what fighters say in the immediate you know, aftermath. Obviously, they're they're still trying to figure stuff out. But when he said in response to Jim Gray something to the effect of his explanation for that fade was, "Yeah, I wanted to show something a little different." I'm not sure what he was trying to show. The mm. fact that he can't fight past eight rounds, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It wasn't. Right. I really like Jesus Ramos, and uh, uh, you know, he seems like a really nice guy, uh, and and a, I, I've thought up until this point a really impressive fighter, but. Gosh, this was, you know, even when he was winning and I had him way up, um, it was there was still a, an element of monotony about it. Like, come on, man, let's let's find an extra wrinkle here. Mm-hmm. And and I don't quite understand what he did over those last few rounds. I still don't think, as I said, I don't think by any means he lost this fight, but it's his fault that he did. Uh, had he kept going for four more rounds. He probably still would have lost. He would have lost fighter on Patricia Morse Jarman's card. <laughs> right. But he could have at least made it close. He would surely have flipped one round. Uh, maybe he would have come out of it with a draw. Still wouldn't have been enough, but he could you know, still wouldn't have been what he deserved, but at least wouldn't have been a loss. Um, he needs to go away and, and, and think about, you know, uh, uh, his approach to some fights in future when, as you said, sometimes guys just aren't going to get out of there. And yeah, just make sure that you're good enough to go 12 three-minute rounds and keep going 12 three-minute rounds. Uh, it was a bit of a mystifying performance. I was so disappointed in the fight. I was so yeah. excited by it. And uh, I was not expecting, uh, in all my predictions for the night, I was not expecting the crowd booing this fight. That was <laughs> honestly the last one, last yeah. thing that I expected. Yeah, I'll just say the last thing I'll say about Ramos is he's only 22 years old. Uh, so, so there is a, certainly an opportunity for him to learn from this, improve upon this, and and come back stronger and still have a very bright future. But uh, yeah, this was not the fight that we <laughs> that you were having erotic dreams about, Karen. Indeed not. And not only that, we both picked uh, Ramos to win this fight by, by knockout. Uh, we were completely wrong. They were completely wrong about who would win. The fight before that, uh, the welterweight battle between Mario Barrios and Ordenis Ugas, this was quite one-sided. Um, Barrios knocking down Ugas with a jab in round two. Ugas came back pretty well in the third. I gave him the fifth too, but personally, I didn't give Ugas any further rounds after that, mm. although I acknowledge that a couple were close. Ugas seemed to be just increasingly reliant on these wild right hands that often just soared over Barrios's head. Um, his eye, Ugas' eye, started to close over the second half of the fight. Referee Thomas Taylor asked Dr. David Watson to check, make sure it was okay before both the tenth, before the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth rounds. The doctor let it go. The corner let it go. But really, at what cost? What was the point? Really, the twelfth round yeah. was just a complete shellacking. Uh, Ugas dropped by a counter hook, wobbled a couple more times, docked a point for losing his mouthpiece twice. Um, leading to some very one-sided scorecards, 117-108, 118-107, twice in favor of Barrios, who moves to 28-2 and two with 18 stoppages. Ugas drops to 27-6 and six with 12. Eric, a little bit of a question, not dissimilar to the first one you asked me about the main event. Was this more about Barrios being better than expected, or was this a case of Ugas now being an old fighter? Secondary question, 
would you have stopped this fight? Uh, absolutely. The The secondary question is the easy one to answer. I definitely thought that they should stop it between rounds 11 and 12. I was just thinking that, well, there's only one round to go, so I'm not expecting them to stop it. But I thought they absolutely should have. And then uh, at any point during the 12th round, they could have they could have thrown in the towel. Um, I had it. I, I found a, a round or two more to give Ugas than you did. I had it 116, 109 for Barrios. Not it still was nowhere near close. But at the midway point, I had it very close um, before Barrios really started to pull away and before Ugas's right eye really started to close. Yeah, I mean, I I jotted down in the ninth round at which point. Uh, I still had the fight scored fairly closely, but it was apparent that that Barrios was starting to take over more and the eye was becoming more and more of a problem. I jotted down that either I badly underestimated Mario Barrios or I underestimated how much Ugas's age and time off would matter in this fight. Um, you know, it, it's not like he looked nothing like the Jordanus Ugas we'd seen before, but clearly he has slowed down. That knockdown he suffered off a jab in the second round, uh, just walked into a jab and went down, uh, was some unexpected and somewhat uncharacteristic for him. I think with him having had the past eye problems uh, in this in the loss to Spence, and so then the eye getting swollen again, I'm sure um, that was messing with his mind as well as his vision. Uh, and then he started having a bloody lip as well. It all just piled up more and more. Uh, and, and until, uh, he, he just was at a point where he was clearly defeated with a round or two to go and there was no need to let it go on, but great win for Mario Barrios. He did fully exceed my expectations. You'll remember, I said that I thought this was probably the easiest undercard fight for me to pick a winner and I picked the wrong one. So, uh, congratulations to, to Barrios who really fully delivered in this fight and yay for our buddy, Bob Santos. Yes, exactly. It's always it's so funny when you when we talk to him, he's always such a nice, calm guy. And then by God, he gets animated um, when he's in the corner and mm. and uh, with his fighter afterwards. Uh, you, you can definitely see why people want to have Bob Santos in the corner. And yeah, it was a good, a really good win for Barrios. The way he fights, still, I, I feel like he's still almost trying to get his self belief back a little bit after those couple of disappointing losses to mm -hmm. to Tank Davis. Uh, and to Keith Thurman, uh, he doesn't from really let his hands go to the extent that you would like. But I think being back with, with Bob, and I think this is his second fight now with Bob. I, I think he got back with him after the Thurman fight. Um, I, I think that's going to help. They're obviously pretty comfortable together. We'll see what Barrios can do. I'm still not completely convinced by him at 147. Uh, but, you know, I, it's good to see him actually get his career back on track there. Um not quite sure what the future holds for Ordenis Ukas, though. Yeah, no, he's 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 either at or very near the end, it would appear. Indeed. Let's finish with the opener. Elijah Garcia against Armando Resendez. We thought this would be pretty exciting. Boy, it was exciting. This was actually the best fight uh, of the night. Um, yeah. Pretty close, I had it, through the first few rounds. But Garcia gradually beginning to separate himself after we had those first several rounds of real phone booth stuff, I felt that the real difference down the, over the subsequent rounds was that Garcia was starting to focus more on quality of punches rather than quantity after about round four. He looked like he was taking a half step back, giving himself a little bit more room to work, sitting down a little bit more. Very nice defense, I thought. Very nice upper body movement and, and, and 
and pivoting, uh, working the body very well throughout, and uh, and then uh, sort of exploding. Two big punches uh, to the body, followed by a right hand upstairs and down went Resendez. Then a big follow up uh, barrage. Uh, Tony Weeks stepping in, stopping the fight at one minute twenty three of the eighth round. Garcia moving to sixteen and zero with thirteen KOs. Resendez fourteen and two with ten. Uh, do you agree with me, Eric, that that was really kind of the key when Garcia decided to not to stop just getting in there and throwing as many punches as possible, but to actually work a little bit more on the quality and of his punches. And also how sweet was his post fight interview? <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything about him, really, this was a breakout performance all around and he had already started to break out prior to this, but uh, this was the most impressed I've been with him. This, this was the one that announced to me, this kid is absolutely going places and uh, good job by you in terms of the way you decided to structure our undercard discussion to allow us to end on a high note because this yeah. fight lived up to all of our expectations. And then some, this was exactly the sort of thrilling style matchup that I was hoping it would be. Um, and, uh, I, I didn't see it quite as competitive as you did. I only gave one round to Armando Resendez, the the second. I had Garcia fairly well in control scorecard-wise, but all of those rounds featured tremendous action, tremendous back and forth. There was never like a totally one-sided round uh, until maybe the, the sixth uh, Garcia yeah. started to uh, assert himself more. That moment where he had the four-punch combination, paused a second and landed another two-punch combination, all flush, no head movement coming from Resendez. Resendez has a hell of a chin. Got to give him that. Uh, I think the CompuBox stats on, on that round, Garcia was 33 for 66 on his punches. Um, that's just tough to take that for too long. And so then the end came a couple of rounds later. Um, the big thing that, that really stood out in this fight, I noted in the third round, I had not noticed a single clinch between the fighters to that point, And I don't think I noticed one over the, the next five rounds. And I, there really hadn't even been any kind of a lull in the action. There was never really more than a couple of seconds where somebody wasn't throwing punches. This was just a tremendous mesh of styles, but Garcia turned out to be a, a level above Resendez. Um, Garcia seemed very unconcerned about what was coming at him most of the time. He was really just able to focus on his offense because he didn't seem to be worried that he was going to get hurt. He was snapping the head back with uppercuts with straight left hands. That left hand was so well-timed. And then, yeah, then he broke through in the eighth. Uh, The right hook dropped him. I actually thought the stoppage... Tony Weeks may have been a tad premature, but it was clearly coming any moment, um, and uh, Resendez was wobbling about. So uh, given that I had picked uh, Garcia by knockout and even uh, placed a a bet on Garcia by knockout, I am certainly not complaining uh, about the stoppage. Um, And so I'll just uh, throw in here that uh, this... I had the two points for this one to your one and uh, one point on the main event to your to your none. And we both got no points on the other. So so my lead is now sixty nine sixty five. Just get that in quickly and then move on because it's not of importance to anyone other than me and you. But um, tremendous, tremendous win from Garcia. He uh, really uh, was in my in my view, has to be considered the the MVP of this undercard. No disrespect to to Mario Barrios, who also had a tremendous win. But uh, Garcia was the one that, that I'll be thinking about going forward forward yeah completely agree and uh, obviously for, for parts of this uh undercard i was thinking about the top five challenge that you sent me for uh, our yes. podcast and uh spoiler alert 
<laughs> he is going to be on my list of the top fighters under 25. That's that's certainly okay. And look, he has this self-professed goal to be a champion at 22. Right. Given the state of the middleweight division right now, mm. I I wouldn't lay a lot of money against him picking up at least a belt by the time he's 22. Uh, yeah. He looks like he's very, very good indeed, young Elijah Garcia. Absolutely. Right, well, that will do it. That is our coverage of the big fight card at the T-Mobile Arena. Thank you so much for staying up uh, and listening to this or listening to this on Sunday morning. I, I might as well just get some coffee now and just start my Sunday. <laughs> can't imagine I'm going to get any sleep. But uh, we will be back next week. We have more fights to preview. Uh, we've got top five lists, we've got fight games to play, we've got news to talk about. Thank you so much. Safe.